before I launch into whatever I'm going to launch into here, here's what's on my heart. And I woke up with it on my heart, and so I'm going to roll with that. Tomorrow, I've been told that the Supreme Court could come to a decision on a matter of life. And as I drove here this morning, I'm just praying, like, God, forgive us that life has ever become a political issue. Forgive us as the church for keeping our mouth shut when we should have been screaming from the mountaintops. I'm going to be honest with you for a moment, and the way that sin works, the way that the devil works, the way that he tries to twist things is he tries to deceive. My wife has given birth to two children, but when she's out in a crowd, she's a mama to whoever's there. We were at Disney, little girl beside us was eating her pizza, leaning back in her chair, little too far, kid about hits the ground. Dina leaps like it's a Super Bowl catch or something to grab this child that we've never seen before. And the parents just look at us and I look at the parents, like I'm thinking, am I getting kicked out of Disney? But that maternal instinct between two moms, like they connected, like I've got your back, I've got your kids. The deception right now in this land is the fact that the devil's played people the part where you would march the streets and you would cry out saying, death is freedom. And as a church, before I launch into this, I would ask that we would just bow our heads and pray. That God's hand would be in decisions that are made. That as a church, we would not just say we stand for something, but that we would get in the thick of those things that we say we stand for. There are foster children right now in this county. There are organizations that we could be involved in, that we could be knee deep in. It's time for us to stop saying what we stand for, but to pray in a way that moves heaven, to act in a way that show that we believe in the things that we say. So if you just bow your heads before we go forward and let's pray. Father, right now I come before you humbly. And Father, I ask forgiveness for being absent from the places that you have called us to stand. Right now, I pray that you would be larger than any ruling, than any decision, than anything that man would do, but that your hand would be in that. And Father, I pray and speak life. I call forward every gifting, every calling, every blueprint upon every life that is going to be saved. And I speak that in your name. And enemy, you are put on notice. No longer will we be silent. No longer will we just bark about things, but we will get in there and we will say, this is where God placed us for this moment in time. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, now that we have that off of our chest, we can go forward with this. It is a teacher Sunday. 
as I was studying about what God wanted me to present. I came across this word, prodigy. Prodigy. Oh, man. You may have heard of a prodigy before. I'm not going to define it as much as I'm going to tell you two examples of people that were prodigies. The first one would be Mozart. He began composing at the age of five years old. When he was around 14, he was invited to the Vatican. When he was invited, the Vatican was playing this composition that was very special to them to the point where it had been outlawed from being transcribed. There were only three copies that existed of this. So being a 14-year-old, he went home that evening and couldn't sleep. And so he got up. And from memory, he wrote that entire composition down. You think, wow, it's no big deal. It was a 12 to 15-minute composition, a piece. It had two choral parts. One was five parts. One was four parts. And when they came together in counterpoint, there were nine separate things going on. And he did that all from memory. It's huge. Pascal. This guy, he was tutored by his father. His father was an accountant. And strangely, his father did not want him to learn about mathematics. He banned mathematics from the house. He focused on teaching languages. And so at the age of 12, this young man decided he would make up his own secret math language and began to covertly study math. (laughs) I wish my parents would have outlawed math, right? So he went on to prove geometric proofs of Euclid, the great mathematician. At 16, he's producing essays on geometry. He goes on to publish papers on things like fluid mechanics, perpetual motion, atmospheric pressure. And then here's one. Before he died, he came up with something called Pascal's Wager, which uses probability theory to argue for a belief in God. Here's what I love about this. We live in a society that they say once we arrive at a certain level of education, that means we're too smart to believe in God. You notice that? And here's a guy that was this prodigy, this innate, that the farther that he went, the more that God proof was there for him. That says something. Well, here's a statement. You may not believe this, but I am not a prodigy. I'm not. I'm sorry, Dina. I'm not a prodigy. I do well to use the add 30 second button on the microwave that we've had for 10 years. Like that's where I am. When it comes to prodigies, they are not common. And so the question is, what if we just left young people to do whatever they're going to do on their own? What if we just like, yeah, you figure it out. How fair would that be? Like Mozart, you, you mentioned him. You could sit me in front of that keyboard for a month. Come back a month later, I'd probably be like the Jaws theme. Like that's all that I could do, just those two notes. Like I'm terrible at things like that. But every person in here, when it comes down to it, we need someone to teach us. When it comes to appreciating teachers, as Dina said, Each one of us has someone who has impacted our lives in a very meaningful way. When I read scripture, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, God, I wish I had a heart like David. I wish that being comfortable and being around God's house, that I was as comfortable as Samuel was. I wish that I had that fearless heart like a Timothy to just charge forward and do those things that you have called me to do. We all need a teacher. 
I remember when I was trying to finish my degree and I sit down with someone and they said, you know what, you're lacking some credit in Spanish, a foreign language. I'm like, oh no, oh no. And so I said to Dina, I need to pick this course up. I'm looking all over, ended up going to Lakeland to pick this up. I remember the first day of class comes and I'm sitting there and the professor comes in the room. A man, he's wearing a beret, staring right through me. Senor Marcelino Marcos. He is, I guess, quadrilingual would be the word. Born in Spain, speaks Spanish, Italian, French, and English. I remember that he looked at me. And he greets me in Spanish. And he's speaking Spanish to me. I'm just looking at him. And he said to me, how, how, sir, you who are Spanish do not speak Spanish? And I'm like, oh, no. Like, he just, he tore me up. This is five minutes in the class. I'm thinking, I'm going to die. I'm going to die in this class. It's going to be the longest thing of my life. And so I'm just silently praying, like, God, ram in the thicket something. Like, I'm not going to make this. He turns to the person next to me, and he says, what is your name? And the young man who had just been telling me how scared he was of this class because he couldn't speak Spanish turns to the teacher, and he says, my name's Pedro. (laughs) And that teacher tore him up the entire semester, and I was just like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Pedro. But what came to mind for Senor Marcos as the semester went on was I needed to be equipped And he was the one who had to equip me. Whether he wanted to do that or not, we need someone to equip us. When it comes to the prolific people that we read about in God's word, the truth is someone had to teach them. A mistake we can make when reading the Bible is we just assume that these people were from birth just right out of the box, these rock stars, David, Samuel, Timothy, We think they were just born that way to excel. You think of David. He was not born part sheepdog. He was not born with a herding instinct. He needed someone to tell him how a rod and a staff worked in the line of shepherding. The sling, he didn't just pick up a sling and was a marksman. Someone had to teach him how to use that. There had to be an instructor. When I was young, I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I begged my parents to buy me a bullwhip. Went to Canfield Fair, they bought me a bullwhip, 10 feet long. Don't even know what was going on there, but I loved that bullwhip. And I lived in Leroy, not much to do in this summer. So I got to the point with this bullwhip where I was like taking the heads off dandelions. I was just like, whoosh, whoosh. I don't know what I was like, I was going to be a carny or I don't know what I was going to do, but I, I knew this bullwhip, right? And I remember when Liam was a little boy, about five that I had this bullwhip, I decorated his room with it because I just thought it was cool. So he's like, Dad, let me use the bullwhip. I'm like, it's in the blood, right? (laughs) So we go outside and Liam, he's like, all of a sudden the bullwhip's like around his head and I'm like, oh my gosh, Dina's gonna kill me. Dina's gonna kill me. So I'm like, Liam, let's go get ice cream, buddy. You're you're all good. We'll hang this bullwhip back up. 
you aren't born with this instinct, right? When it comes to Samson, he was not born with the knowledge of how a Nazarite should live. When it comes to people telling him what number six was about, someone had to say to him, no, look, here are the rules. Here are the vows. Here's the way that it goes down. You don't touch the vine, things from the vine. You don't drink alcohol. You don't take a razor to your head. You don't touch dead things. You're not around dead things. Someone had to tell him the why of God's word. When it came to Samuel, Samuel was not given over to the Lord because at the ripe old age of three, he had this vast Bible knowledge. When he was given to the house of the Lord, do you know why? Because he was called, because he was appointed, because there was a God plan for his life. He grew into the leader that God ordained him to be, but he had to be taught. When it came to Paul the apostle, he knew that his time on this earth was finite. He knew that there were only so many trips around the sun. He knew that the career path which had been chosen for him on that road to Damascus did not end in retirement. He knew in his heart that as much as he did, like you think about it, like there's three little lines in every gift Bible to show Paul's missionary journeys, you know, and we look at that and imagine being Paul and thinking, yeah, there's more. There's more. And so he knew that there needed to be someone that he would love like a son and train like a fighter. Along comes Timothy. Timothy coming from stock where he had a grandma named Lois and a mom named Eunice that had raised him up to know about God. But it came a point when he needed a Paul who was a teacher in his life to sow into him. Such words as, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them, you may fight a good fight. These young people need to be reminded of the words that are spoken over them. They need to be reminded of who God says they are. Because there's going to be some dark days and they need someone who's going to say, I've got your back, I'm in your corner, and God's got this. Those words to Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Saying to him, but as for you, continue in what you've heard and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Telling Timothy to fan the flame of the gift of God, which is in him. God gave him a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. And we talk about teachers in Romans 12, it says that God gave some to be teachers. That passing along of knowledge is a sacred thing. That God calling is a sacred thing. I believe with all my heart that those God gifts are there. The call of God being without repentance, I believe that there are God gifts that are being used in the world that People who don't even know Jesus yet, when they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, that it's just going to light the church up with the gifts that are in them. When discussing teaching, though, we often stop there at Romans 12. In a church like this, which we consider a charismatic Pentecostal church, how many of you like to see miracles? Like, 
don't answer that, because if you say no, that'll make it really weird. <laughs> you like to see miracles, but check this out. In the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, it says, and in the church, God has appointed first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and check this out, then workers of miracles. So God in his knowledge is saying, I value teaching so much that when I am appointing things, that teaching is going to be near the top of the list. Because when it comes to the miraculous, yeah, we all want to see it, but what we need, we need teachers to help frame up what just happened, what's going on, how we should mature in Jesus Christ. We need someone to take the knowledge and to take what's going on and bring those things together. For a teacher, the mission's twofold. They want to make knowledge accessible, and they want the hearer to take it farther. If there's one thing in a teacher's heart, it's this. Don't stop there. Don't stop there. Can't talk about teachers without talking about the one they called rabbi. Sometimes the greatest measure of the success of your mission may lie years down the road. That's tough. I spent a lot of years here as a youth pastor. And I told you, I hate social media. I don't know why I do it. Don't know why I eat broccoli. Don't know why I go on social media. Because it's tough when young people sometimes that the world will get in their head. It's weird to see some things that they post that are just so directly opposite of who you knew them to be. But it's in those moments when I see things like that, that the heart of a teacher, I remember when we would be, again, like just how he said, that maternal instinct kicking in. Like when we would be somewhere and like when the kids would be in danger or something, you just go into like secret service mode, you know, and protect, protect. There's that secret service mode almost in Jesus that when I see things like that, that I'm speaking life, I'm calling out life over them, that I'm saying this is not where they end. This is not where it stops. And I get audacious and I start telling the devil that you think this is the trap and this is the end, but this is simply what's going to be defeated and added to their arsenal for Jesus. And when they come back with a passion, it's going to look like this. Teacher's heart says, don't stop there. Dina and I were talking this week and you think about this, that when Jesus went to the cross, those that he had spent the most time with, it didn't look very stellar how they were doing right then at that moment. Like how wild, you know, of all things. And that should speak to each one of us that again, what you are sowing in, that seed will grow. But looking at that, you think like Peter, he was supposed to have been the leader of this crew in a way. Look with Judas, what happened? You had Thomas, who's like, yeah, no, maybe, Right? You had them huddled behind a door, pretty much bracing for the worst. This is the crew that was going to change the world. But he was a teacher. So often we don't think of him that way. But over 40 times in the Gospels, he's called a teacher. Not just a teacher, but my Jesus, my Jesus, he's like the bare grills of teachers. 
He was on the seashore. He was on the mountains. He was on the boat, in the temple, in the synagogue. Like, it didn't matter where he was. He was going to do his thing, and he was going to teach. In Luke, actually Acts 1.1, it says the entire book of Luke, it was a record of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. There is a statement. The mediocre teacher tells. The good teacher explains. The superior teacher demonstrates. And the great teacher inspires. Those disciples, oh, they had been told as they walked along with Jesus. It had been explained to them as they went along by the most patient of teachers. They've had three years of the best object lessons available. Demonstrations? Oh, they had had demonstrations. Imagine being present when he says, suffer the little children to come unto me. Turning your idea of what the day was supposed to be about on its head and he wants the kids to come to him. Imagine being there when you don't even know what's going on and people are crying and people are upset and he says, Lazarus, come forth. Imagine being there when the stones are about to fly and thinking, what's going on? We could all get it right here and Jesus drawing a line in the sand. Imagine that. Imagine that demonstration of knowing that what was in the alabaster box was way more precious than money. And imagine mere hours before going to the cross, Jesus taking on the form of the servant and washing their feet. Imagine it. That's the Jesus we serve. A Jesus that taught them to obey everything that he commanded. The Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. In Ezekiel, when there had been a turning away from God and the people who were supposed to be doing God's things in God's house and sort of turned their back on it. God knew the time was coming when there would be a reckoning, when there would be a turning, and the time is coming when there's going to be a reckoning and there's going to be a turning. And it says, moreover, they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the profane and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. The kids in our church, I want them to have that kind of heart that just knows yeah, that's not God's best. I want to be able to say it in front of their parents. I want to be able to say it in front of their peers. When they're alone, when they're outnumbered, to take a stand. I want them to be able to have discernment. The kind of discernment that when you're a parent, have you ever had your kids square you up in Jesus? When you're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And your kid's like, well, why don't we pray about it? And you're like, oh. Right? If it hasn't happened to you, it probably will. In closing, that heart of Jesus says, don't stop there. Don't stop there. So I, I have this backpack that I keep everything. Because you never know what you'll need, right? You may need a rain jacket or your computer or whatever. Like I just cram the thing full. I always got it with me. And I get home sometimes, and when I clear the threshold of the garage, I'm home. And that backpack will just like, boom, and Dina hates it. Because, you know, like, I'm thinking I've made it. I've made it home. Without a teacher, our tendency is to think that we know where the finish line is. Without a teacher, we tend to set the finish line according to the season that we have just come through. 
I remember we went to a Myrtle Beach vacation, family vacation. And, you know, you really grow to love your family over long trips. All the stuff you plan for your kids, they're done with by the time you get to 91. You know, you're on your own for hours. And my kids have never had to use the restroom in something that wasn't just short of an outhouse, have they? I mean, it's scary, the places we have stopped for restroom breaks. And so we get to this house. It's a huge house in Myrtle Beach. The whole family is going to be staying there. Place has an elevator. And so instead of braving the Walmart in Myrtle Beach, they do this mobile delivery, which shows up. And the kids, they're running around. The older ones, they've got to go to the beach because we're only going to be there all week. So they got to get there right now. You know, and everyone abandons me. And the guy pulls up and he's got groceries, like all the groceries we're going to have for a week for like 20 people, right? I'm just standing. He's like, well, there's your groceries. And I'm just like, stairs and stories and floors. You know what I'm thinking? Oh, we have an elevator. And the kids had broken the elevator within 37 seconds of us being there. And so they said, yeah, they'll be here Monday to fix it. I'm just looking, you know. And the idea was I could have sat back and been like, but I drove all this way. I had to listen to my kids fight all this way. You know, there was nothing but country music stations, like all this way. Like it was just terrible. And I could just have stopped there but the groceries would have rotted, right? Like something in me says, you gotta go a little farther. Don't stop there. Dina would have killed me if I had left the groceries out. Could you imagine that? Where's the yogurt? Oh, it's down there in a 90 degree heat. It's all good. But just like in the Bible, imagine, you know, Samson, he could have said, hey, I killed a lion barehanded. I'm just going to lay back. I mean, that's a feat. That's like something people can say the rest of my life, what I did. Right or wrong, they're going to say, Samson did that. David, he could have said, oh, he killed a lion. Well, I've killed lions and bears, not to mention the giant. When it came to the throne, he could have been like, yeah, I don't know. I've done so much already. When it came to Samuel, he could have been like, I have lived at church. Like, I get the attendance sticker because I've lived there my whole life. But that heart of the teacher, that heart of our creator, every moment is a teachable moment. Daniel Webster said this, if we work on marble, it will perish. If we work on brass, time will efface it. If we rear up temples, they will crumble to dust. But if we work on men's immortal minds, if we imbue them with high principles, with just fear of God and love for their fellow men, we engrave on those tablets something which time cannot efface and which will brighten and brighten to all eternity. Every Christian here, we should either be learning our ABCs or teaching someone the ABCs. That's how it should work. Each one of us, if we claim Christ, should be at a place where we know how to lead someone else to Christ, where we teach them how to get into the Bible, what it means to pray, what it means to spend time with God, what it means to grow. There was an internationally known violinist. I will probably mess his name up. Yasha Heifetz. At the height of his career, he gave up performing on the international stage, and he said, I'm going to go teach at UCLA. And a lot of people saw that as a step down. 
And they ask him, why did you do that? And he said to them, violin playing is a perishable art. It must be passed on, otherwise it is lost. That's how I feel about the things with our kids. That's how I feel about this church. We don't leave it to happenstance. We're deliberate about it. I don't just want to wait until someone teaches them what they think they should know, but I want them in the protection of the house. I want us to be raising them up in God's way. I want them that when they're in the thick of it, know what they have been taught and what they know to do. If you'll stand. I thank God for teachers. Oh, I thank God for them. As I was studying the other day, I was at Garfield Park. Can't go there without thinking about Rick Fusen. <laughs> there was this pipe that crossed the river that's still there. And Rick would be sitting there and he would look at this pipe like he was really just trying to figure it out. He'd be like, I bet you can't walk across that. But I can. If you fell in the creek, you got a 20-minute detention. So it was kind of win-win for him. And I just remember as a kid, you know, thinking that seemed like it was miles across that pipe. It was probably 10 feet. And there are things when it comes to our kids that we just need to let them know, like, you can do this. You've got this. When I hear about the things that you talk about with God, when I hear about your heart with God, I see that. I hear that, Dom. It's real. I got your back. Let's right now just thank God for teachers and lift up these kids that are in this house. In Jesus' name, bow your heads. Father, right now, I thank you for everyone that has poured in through the years. For the Sunday school teachers who showed up every week, for those teachers who saw the greatness in us, Father, let us just recognize that. And right now, God, help us to see what our role is in this house in teaching those who are coming up under us. I pray blessing on everyone. When they worship, they don't worship like children. They worship like your heart. And Father, I pray a hedge of protection around them. I pray discernment for us as a body. And Lord, I pray that we will have, when it needs that mama bear kind of spirit, that mama bear kind of spirit would raise up in the name of Jesus. Again, I thank you for this privilege to be here. In Jesus' name, amen.